Welcome to episode 69 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Have you mapped out your goals for 2018 yet? If not, it's time to do something about that. Seriously, we've only got about eight weeks left. Last week, I participated in Business Building Rockstar Summit, a virtual summit with over 30 genius strategists and marketing experts. I had a great 90-minute session with the host, Nicole Holland, and I was also excited to listen in on all the other amazing panelists. Now, you might be wondering, Why am I telling you about something that happened last week? Here's the good news. You can still get all of the recordings and listen to them at your leisure. The sessions are on mindset, creating lead magnets, building your email list, launching webinars and online programs, finding your ideal client, and so much more. Everything you need to meet or even exceed your 2018 business goals. My session was on how to network like a ninja. And we covered such an array of topics, everything from the strategy ahead of the event to know, is this the right event to even go to? And tips and hacks for how to be most effective while you're at the event. And then a piece about how to be inclusive and why being inclusive is such a key piece of being effective. So we dove into a wide range of information. A lot of it's the kind of stuff that's in my book, the thing I've been talking about for the last decade but you got to hear all of it right there and people were asking questions. So it's a great session. And that's basically how all the sessions were like because Nicole did a great job asking follow-up questions and getting really good nuggets of information out of her really knowledgeable guests. So that's why you should check it out. Now, when you sign up as a VIP, you also get an amazing goodie bag of VIP gifts from the panelists that's worth thousands of dollars. I gave all the VIPs a free strategy session and the audiobook of my best-selling business book, Croissants versus Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences. You can check out all the sessions and sign up at bbrsummit.com forward slash Robbie. Then you can make the most of the next eight weeks so you can kick off 2018 with a strong, sense of purpose. That's bbrsummit.com forward slash Robbie. On the Schmooze is proud to be a headliner on C-Suite Radio, which is part of the C-Suite Network, a network of a half million C-level executives. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest has been called the Johnny Appleseed of fundraising. Since the only thing he loves more than asking for money is teaching people to ask for money. Over the past 16 years, his organizational and leadership coaching and trainings have helped tens of thousands of nonprofits advance their missions, meet revenue goals, and improve the lives of their staff and supporters. He is the founder of the Concord Leadership Group and of fundraisingcoach.com. Currently, he's the executive director of the nonprofitacademy.com and an advisory panel member of Roguer, a prestigious international fundraising think tank. He's the author of several books on fundraising, including Ask Without Fear, 
a step-by-step guide on how to build authentic relationships with your donors. His expertise and enthusiasm engages audiences around the world and has caught the attention of media organizations as diverse as Al Jazeera, Success Magazine, and Fox News. Please join me in welcoming Mark Pittman. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Mark, thank you so much for joining us from your office in Greenville, South Carolina. I love that I have people from all over the world. So I want to jump right in. This is a podcast about leadership and building strong networks. So tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? My parents have always wanted me to, to grow as a leader. They um, always had huge plans for me. I was just interviewing a leader last week who said that she had always been in leadership positions growing up as a, for her as a millennial, me as a Gen Xer, there was always the clubs I was in. I always seemed to just become trusted as an, I wasn't that I was taking over that I know of. <laughs> I wasn't domineering and trying to manipulate and take over you know, leadership, but I just found myself, people trusted me and kept thrusting me into positions of leadership. I guess the first part of the question though is, I don't know who it was that said this, but I love the idea of leadership that if you're a leader and there's no, you turn around, there's nobody behind you, then you're out for a walk. <laughs> you know, <I'm> <laughs> so I think influence has always been a big part of my understanding of leadership. I remember when I went to this, to a college, I went to a Christian college on the North Shore of Boston. I'd come from a very highly academic, secular, not faith-based uh, boarding school. And I thought, I'm just going to coast. This is great. I'm at a Christian school. I don't have to defend my faith. I can just kind of coast for a couple of years and just relax. And within two weeks of being there, a senior came up to me in the food line at the cafeteria. She came up behind me and said, it was less than two weeks, I guess. She tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, look, I'm starting this new group. I'm still looking for a couple more leaders. Would you join me? She didn't know who I was. I was just a freshman. She was a senior. She'd been there the whole time. And that's when I think one of the times I realized, all right, I'm just going to have to get used to the fact that I'm not going to coast. That's (laughs) funny. Yeah. I'm not going to prop up in a recliner, put my feet up. Right, right. Well, it seems like you're both gravitate towards the opportunities to lead and also people look to you, that you must have some aura about yourself of, of looking like you know what you're doing, even when you're only at school for the first couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. When we get, when, uh, during the marriage counseling 22 years ago, my wife and I were going through marriage counseling, the priest that did our marriage counseling should, did a personality assessment on me and a personality assessment of, from how Emily viewed me. And he said, okay, so this is highly verbal. He doesn't believe what he's saying, but he's highly convincing. Okay. He said, <laughs> BSer. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you know what that means. He said, Mark is a sanctified BSer, and your job, Emily, is to call him on it every day of his life. Every day, yeah. <laughs> you just see, you see, it seems like people like appreciate that about you, though. So it's hard to turn off. Yeah, yeah, and it's <laughs> and it becomes comfortable because so part of the burden of that as a leader is that not the burden, but the responsibility is that as a person of integrity, I don't want to ever be leading people down the wrong path. So I'm a nerd. I do a lot of study. I did my master's in organizational leadership. Growing up, I had homework from school, but I also had homework because I was a pitman. So my parents grew up in leadership training environments where they take us to sales rallies and seminars. We were in Amway. And so we'd go to the, not only would they go to their sales training and all, but they'd bring the kids along. And I was listening to Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy and wow. Bob Berg. I, was, I had to re- listen to a side of a tape 
books, tapes, seminars, and rallies. I had to listen to a side of a tape every day, my sister and I, and take notes on it. And we had to listen, uh, read How to Win Friends and Influence People, How I Raised Myself from Success to Failure and Selling, or Failure to Success and Selling. <laughs> so I grew up just saturated with goal setting and leadership. And as a master, getting my master's in organizational leadership, the part was, I want to know the real research behind this. That's why I'm on the Rogari Think Tank because I, with fundraising, I want to know the real research. I know the anecdotes. I know the stories that people say work and they do illustrate a point, but they aren't necessarily true. I want to only be speaking truth as much as I can help it. So yeah, so it sounds like integrity is a big piece of it for you Huge. and not being afraid to say yes to the opportunity when someone offers you a leadership position. So not necessarily it sounds like you're, yeah. yeah, trust your gut that, yeah, I can do this. I can help. Well, not even my gut. It's just, okay, they see yeah. this in me. Yeah. There have been a few times, you've probably experienced this too. There's been a few times, at least professionally, where people, the clients are calling me to do something that they clearly see I can do. Mm-hmm. But I had no idea that I, I didn't see that's not offered anywhere. I didn't see that. It's I funny you say that, Mark, because I'm best known for speaking about networking. And I've been doing that for a couple of years when someone reached out to me and said, well, by day, you, you're a fundraiser because I was doing leading fundraising events, doing major gift work. And I said, you do these trainings on networking. Will you come to DC and train my board on fundraising? Right? It's one of those moments, right? Where you're like, yes, uh, right. uh, yes. And now it's my number two most requested session. Wow. <laughs> right? Well, and it's great yeah. because they call you out. I think a lot of people don't get become the full potential of what they can be because they're afraid to be called out and they're afraid to be named. People are naming you as an ability to do something. And so one of the things that, so part of the study of leadership that I've also had was I knew I was going to be a pastor early on. I, that's what I thought I was going to be forever. I only did it for four years, but part of the training in our denomination was small groups. And so we'd have a small group And then everybody would break up and leave. And then we'd reconvene as a small group and debrief what just happened. And one of the things that we have noticed with people that I learned through the small group experience on Long Island was that there are certain people that have this sort of authority. When they speak, people's heads turn and they listen. And there are other people that just don't have it developed yet. And so I'm not sure if it's a natural trait or a learned skill. I think it's a little bit of each, but that's something that I look for when I'm looking for leaders. And it's almost like a sixth sense, I think. Now, when I go, and as a fundraiser, you know this too, I was doing a university training for a board. They brought me in to do their governance training, which was really bizarre because I was the outsider and they were trying to have me teach them all. It was just interesting. It was a really good thing, but they invited me the night before to the board meeting, you know, just to the board hanging out social event. And within the first 20 minutes of being with the board, I had talked to the, the five most high net worth individuals or couples on their board. Yeah. And so the development director came up to me or the VP of development and said, how did you do that? And I really didn't know. I just gravitated to the people that seemed interesting, but it happened to be that they were yeah. also the ones that were the largest net worth individuals. Yeah. And they must have had like an air about them of confidence and security and being in that space and, and interesting stories. Yeah. And that's part of it. It's not, it wasn't the confidence that got that I wanted or the wallet that I wanted. I'm always interested in people's stories. And I think sure. that really disarms people. I think people really find that refreshing, which is, yeah. I just happen to be curious. I like people. I want to know. Yeah. I want to know more about them. This is great. Uh, so we're going to move on a little bit. Cause like, God, I could talk to you about just this one point on leadership. Cause like, because you're so uh, studied in it. But I'm, I'm kind of curious about where it takes us today. And I don't want to just be like, so what do you do? I hate that question. But <laughs> what, do you, what do you find most rewarding about the work that you're doing today? 
Well, as a as an executive, Franklin Covey executive coach that works with leaders, I find it most rewarding to help free them from all the things that they think they have to be as a leader. Um, I think most most people go have this kind of get contorted, whether it's in fundraising itself or in leadership. But um, there's a you know they start out observing what other leaders have done, and then they move down to realizing that doesn't work. So they read all these books, and they think these are the way they have to be. But it's not until they start analyzing it and then choosing what's their own thing. Like Marie, you know, getting things done was a great book, but it didn't work for me. But there was something in there about writing an action step after a to-do item that really helps me. And I think a lot of people get stuck in that um, in the experimenting and analyzing stage of not feeling confident enough to be able to say, that doesn't work for me. I know it works for you as a board chair or for you as another peer. That doesn't work for me. And I'm not less because of that. And neither are you. So as a coach, I'm really, I love working, walking alongside particularly nonprofit fundraising leaders who have so many, they have four different bosses. They have the board that hires them, the staff they report to, the people that they're helping, and then the donors that fund everything. Absolutely. <laughs> so stretched out. So yeah. um, you remember, do you remember, um, I think it was Hook, when uh, Robin Williams' character, Peter Pan, the boys do something with his face and say, there you are, Peter. I like having that moment with leaders. I like yeah, helping yeah. them see so they can identify themselves like, oh, yeah, I was created to be this way. I really think it's also great when people feel confident enough that they can learn a bunch of different tools and then pick and choose. Absolutely. From them to like make their like mosaic of what works for me in my toolbox. I don't have to be like rigidly following this one method because it's just not working for me. I mean, I felt that way when I was writing my book, right? There's like all these different methods of how to write a book. And they all and, sound right. And they're yeah, all here. And it's like, I'm not starting. I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not finishing. You know, and then you're like cobble together a way for yourself. Um, and it's it's good for me to remember that because I think when it comes to like fundraising, I know how to do it. Right. So it's it's actually helpful when you're teaching to also put yourself in the place of being a student for maybe something else in your life. Yeah. And always staying there. I think the one of the the scariest, the scariest leaders are the ones that can't be led. I think the safest leaders are the ones that know how to be followers also. And they're intentional about who they're following. They don't just follow anyone. But um, I always recommend if someone's hiring a coach, that they always find out who's coaching that coach. Um, because you should always be following people that are constantly learning, not people that have, feel like they have arrived. Because there's something disingenuous about being stuck. That doesn't, yeah, that's not that's- life. Really good advice. I have a lot of listeners who are in the C-suite who are probably, you know, working on finding coaches. And that's one of the questions they can now think to ask is like, Absolutely. okay, who's coaching your coach? That's a really... Well, you can also see, you can find the posers. Um, there's mm. a lot of egos and posers in any industry, uh, speaking, coaching, whatever. And you don't, the coach may not be a poser. They may have a coach that they go to on a regular basis or something. So they may not be in a coaching series or season right now, which is legit. But uh, that does separate some of the wheat from the chaff, for sure. Yeah. So as you were doing your work um, and building up your practice, I I imagine you didn't arrive. I mean, it's really funny to talk to you about leadership because this experience you had as a child, like I kind of do want to go back to that because this piece about your parents giving you so much knowledge up front, did you rebel against that at some point? No, really, I didn't. I was. You just kind of went with it? I'm always a learner. Um, I, I worry that my son's going to like just hate spreadsheets because I'm, <laughs> I'm such a list maker and like, you know, like spreadsheets for everything. And I just think my kid's going to be like, oh God, no spreadsheets. 
with our kids, I've noticed that I don't have the same assignments with my kids. Uh, it just is a different culture. But what we do is we, we're homeschooling. So one of the uh, assessments I do is the Highlands Abilities Battery. And by the time someone's 15, they can get their hardwiring in. It, it helps you discover your hardwiring. And um, so that that I've done with two of my kids and been able to debrief with them. And we shape their schooling and their life choices around, you know, this is what, this may come more naturally for you, or you may have to prepare more time because it doesn't seem like this comes as naturally, but you have to learn it. And it's been fun to see the the different uh, experiences and, and, aha moments that my 15 year old and 18 year old have had. And my 12 year old is just chomping at the bit. She's like, come on, I want to take this. <laughs> that's awesome. We all, you all have this common vocabulary. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she wants to be part of that. Absolutely. That's, that's definitely a piece of it. So what's been a challenge that you've faced as you sort of chose this career path? And, oh my goodness. you know, and how did you, how did you get around or through or over that challenge? All right. Well, the one that's popping to mind that's iconic is when, so I mentioned earlier that I knew I was going to be a pastor and I thought that was going to be my way. And it took about 15 years of real life before I was actually asked by my church planning coach, Hey, would you, would you, there's a, there's this opportunity, which I think is great because I had a lot of life experiences and a lot of, um, I just lived some, I think that there's some wisdom in that rather than going out in my mid twenties as a know-it-all, um, spiritual leader. Um, the, but what happened was, the, the, in, sh- in brief, a Pentecostal church closed because the pastor had Parkinson's and couldn't preach anymore. So he didn't want to retire, but he did. And they asked our denomination, which is called Vineyard, it's a different Protestant denomination, to come up and cr- open up our church in their location. Um, so my tr- church planning coach had made sure he knew, you're closing your church. This Pentecostal congregation no longer exists. You're asking us to start a different denomination there and really paved the way for me. But the pastor didn't get it. So when you only have 30 people in a congregation, gossip just in any group, gossip is like a cancer. Uh, so it, the, you know, fast forward, he said he was going to give it a week, a year before he started coming back to services at that building. He didn't. He gave it 51 weeks. And on the 51st week or the 52nd week, it was still short of the year, he showed up. And um, there were all sorts of issues. It turns out he really thought he had, he was, I was his successor instead of, um, a peer that had started a new, new congregation in a space. Um, and so that went on for almost two years of, um, of hate mail and uh, intense personal attacks against my character wow. because I wasn't being the type of person he would. Like yeah. he wanted to teach me how to manipulate people to get into the seats and that's not my style. Um, and uh, he was upset that my pic- his, he and his wife didn't have their picture up in the, uh, behind the pulpit. We didn't put any pictures behind the pulpit, not even Jesus's. So it was sort of like, come on, who do you think you are? But to do that in a small group where we were also, I didn't want to let anybody know. Um, I knew I had done it well when my, one of my leaders um, said to me, can we just ask you a question? And I said, sure, go. What's going on with this couple? And my <laughs> wife and I finally let our guard down and we said, I'm so glad you asked. Why? First, we said why. <laughs> we wanted to see what they're. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like he's trying to build his own congregation within ours, and he was. I mean, it was just that was a great picture. But I said, well, these are the steps we've taken, and we're trying to. We were really trying to let him know is it's not a good or bad thing. It's just a stylistic difference. We're both on the same street. We're just in different houses, and there are plenty of other places where you can go and worship. You don't have to worship here. But if you're going to worship here, you, this is not acceptable behavior. Is what I was saying. Yeah, there. yeah. We had mediation with our church planning coach. I mean, we had serious like conflict resolution Sounds stuff. Sounds like a huge challenge, yeah. Well, and you know what? The congregation didn't know, which was so good because I always wanted to be that kind of 
guy that I wanted to protect their, that couple, even though they were hurting me in ways that I didn't even know I could be hurt. I wanted to protect them so that they'd be welcome in and not be vilified because I've seen too many people become enemies or create, make other people that don't agree with them enemies. And that's just not, a, that's not appropriate or worth more than that. So this worship leader was able to tell me, she called me later and she said, I've never seen this, Mark. I said, what? She said, you're a leader that had clear boundaries. You may not behave this way in our space, but you are also totally grace-filled with, you're not a bad person. You're just misbehaving. And so that was for me, like the Charmin was squeezed. You know, remember those commercials, squeeze the Charmin? My leadership Charmin was squeezed where I could see I have the leader to have the strong backing, the strong right. kind of chutzpah to say, yes, this is the right way uh, without saying you're an idiot for not following me. That's, that's like such a great example of like leadership in action. Like leadership is a verb that we have to, and it's it's not a one-time thing. It's an entire episode that lasted weeks, if not years, you know, and, and involves other people. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's not just you and one other person. It's you and a whole congregation, a small congregation. It's like being in a small town, word travels. And, and what kind of person do you want to be in retrospect? Like when you look back on it, what do you want people to think of when they think of you in that role? And it sounds like in the moment you're being present, about that. Like that's really hard to do. Part right? of it's because it's hindsight. But part of it was because I was trying to be intentional. It yeah. wasn't until she said, this is the type of leader you were that I was able to then, I almost started crying in the parking lot. I remember what parking lot of what supermarket I was in in Maine when she said that on the phone because it finally labeled the experience because it was such an intensely awful experience for me. Um, any leader knows that whenever they do something, other people are going to start taking shots at them. I was told by one, one virtual mentor growing up that the higher you climb up the, the ladder, the bigger your, your butt becomes as a target and people just start shooting at you. Um, and so there is that sense of you're going to take shots, but to have somebody else say, this is what you've exhibited. Then it made it so that in retrospect, I could, I think I was probably somewhat present, but, uh, I did a lot of lawn mowing during those years because when you yell at the lawnmower, nobody can hear you because the lawnmower is too loud. <laughs> so I said all the stuff I wanted to say <laughs> to their face. Oh, that's good, Mark. Um, you know, Abraham Lincoln used to write those letters but never send them. So I was verbally, I'm a verbal expressive. I was just verbally, yeah. verbally writing the letters. Well, it also it. feels like that's what, that's what earns you your stripes as a leader is, is challenge, right? Like if, you, if, if everything's smooth sailing and there's no conflict and there's no hiccups along the way, um, your metal hasn't been tested yet. so And you just wonder, I think all of us have the imposter yeah. syndrome. And so knowing that when you have those places where there, you can point back to as a touch base, you know, uh, and see there, yeah, I have a, that plaque is on the wall or see that scar here. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, that. that's part of, that's part of living, right? Like uh, that's what, that's the difference between being 22 and being 42. It's like, you know, being 62, it's like you have all this life experience that shows you, you can get through the next thing. And I want to say that you can, as leaders, you can be any age and lead well. And so yeah. I'm not trying to say that. Um, I just think there's an interesting, and we all take different hard hardships at different times. I mean, we all have right. some hard childhood. Um, there's all sorts of different hardships, but um, I think it's part of what makes us better. And what's interesting is I think often when we're going through the trial, the temptation is to think that this disqualifies us as a leader. If mm. we were a leader, we wouldn't be going through this. We wouldn't have this. <laughs> right. Um, when, wow. But that's why it's important to listen to podcasts like yours because you can hear from other leaders. Oh, that's just yeah. life. Oh, that's just, oh, 
Okay. I yeah, can come to expect it, embrace it, and then hopefully get past it quickly. <laughs> and there are times like when our church plant failed. So the other, another moment was far, four of us got together with other couples who had church plants that had failed in the same year. And we'd get together with CFL, we called the Church for Losers. And we would um, uh, ha- raise a glass of whiskey and smoke pipes whenever we'd be like, now I'm over this now. And everybody would be like, ah, yeah, <laughs> we'd raise a glass and we'd all shoot back because we just needed to process that with other people that have been through hard stuff. Because in our culture, we don't really talk about that. We like to talk yeah. about successes. And, and it's, there's that whole uh, per- proverb of nobody wants to hear about the birth. They just want to see the baby. Mm-hmm. So it's not appropriate to talk about the mess with everyone, but there's got to be someone or two people in your life mm-hmm. that you can actually just let your hair down with. Mm-hmm. So speaking of, of letting your hair down and like experiencing not just being on all the time, when do you know you're not at work? That is an excellent question. Um, there's two things. One is a habit I've started when I was in college um, my undergraduate, I didn't realize there's going to be so much spirituality in this interview. My undergraduate major was, uh, Judaism, a, a second temple Judaism. And so the whole idea of Sabbath has been, uh, something that was really important to me. So as a college student, I realized my job is to study. So from Saturday night to Sunday night, I'm not allowed to study. I can do other things. I can learn, I can read. So having some sort of, and I've morphed that in my uh, career to be, or my self-employment, my, you know, creating a business to be nothing income producing. Cause I'm a social media nerd. I don't want to just cut off social media. I, I've good, I like, I like people there. So what I do is I try to make an intentional 24 hour. Sometimes it's 36, sometimes it's four hours, but I try to make an intentional time of non-income producing action. I'm not doing this because it's going to lead someone to want to go to my website or listen to my podcast or read a book. It's because I'm just being me. Um, the other one is something that my wife has identified and really been good at just cheerleading me for is I love brewing beer. Mm. Sitting down, I'm not the full grain. So for any of your beer nerds out there, I'm still an extract brewer. But um, sitting down for four hours, boiling water basically, and then throwing in hops and some stuff and making sure everything's sanitized and all. There's something that's very concrete and structural. So I still have something to show for the time, but it gives me this, it holds the space for me to just be, be. Right. Uh, my wife loves it. She feels like it's anchoring roots in our home and it's making our house a home. That's a neat one because it's hard to multitask when you're trying to keep track of all of that. Like, it like is. You have yeah, to really true. pay attention. Like you can't get distracted by Facebook because the timer is going to go off or right. you, have to, you have to get the next step ready. And like, yeah, that's interesting. Um, there, was a, there was a time for a little while when I was knitting. Um, yeah. I, was knitting I was knitting preemie hats uh, and donating them to a oh. local uh, hospital. Yeah. My mom had me knitting. So part of our one, the one year we were homeschooled, our phys ed teacher was Richard Simmons. We'd watch Richard Simmons do the exercises. And That's then so we great. To knit while he talked to the fat people. I love, your parents sound just awesome. They were very intentional, weren't they? <laughs> Seriously intentional. It's making, me, it's making me realize I'm not being intentional enough, but um, with my not even two-year-olds, but I have time still, I you think. You yeah. <laughs> I have time. But what I liked about doing something like that is like, like I'm not, I wasn't good enough to multitask. Like I couldn't even necessarily watch yeah. something, you know, I had to, I mean, I really, I, but it, it took my concentration and I got something out at the end of it, right? Like there was a thing. Right. That's something that's for my driving abilities. I need to have something concrete to show. So another one, the third one that I do is um, if I set a goal, I give myself permission to do this. So I set a goal to read a certain number of fiction books because I teach nonprofit storytelling 
And uh, my wife was really good at reminding me that stories are the fiction books, not all the self-help books I love to read and write. Mm-hmm. So um, I tried it, but having it as a goal to read, I set out a curriculum of like 50 to 75 books I read every year, a mix of all sorts of different types, but to have a goal of reading um, fiction, my brain checks out in a different way that's really healthy for me. Oh, that's good. I think we all could take a lesson from that because I have a you know, that stack of you know, no. leadership books. And, yeah. and even though it looks like this thin because, you know, like a quarter inch because it's my Kindle, it's still stacked. It still stacks. It still is stacks. <laughs> well, now as a podcast host, I don't know if you have this experience, people now mail me their books. I've been like, told that it's being booked. It's now a term that um, uh, there, are certain, there are certain niches where you get booked and uh, and it's not because you're getting booked to do something. It's you get slapped with a book. Yeah. I get a lot of review copies that I'm, I, and I never make promises. I always say oh, my thanks. review stack is really late. <laughs> it's really yeah. Delayed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what does self-care look like outside of the things you've mentioned? Like, do you have any ongoing practices or habits or morning routines or things like that to keep you going? Yeah. Share a little. Absolutely. So um, Seven Habits for Highly Effective People, when I read that back in high school, Covey talks about the golden hours of the three, first three hours of the day. And as I was thinking about this the last year, this has been really important to me. We um, usually, I've always been an early riser. Um, and you know, reading Ben Franklin's autobiography, that was another one of, I want to be an early riser because I, <laughs> I want to be successful. Um, but I usually get up around five and uh, get on, hop on a stationary bike for about an hour because I can do all my reading on a stationary bike and I can do my social media. I was responding to hurricane relief work for the National Speakers Association this morning from my phone while I was still on my bike. So if I get the exercise out of the way, it makes me feel so much better all day. I know I've done something concrete. And then um, every morning that I'm home, uh, it took 10 years of marriage to get to this rhythm, but every morning that I'm home, uh, at 6.45, I bring coffee to my wife and we sit together and talk through the day and pray. Uh, it's about the only time in the house when we don't have interruptions from the three kids. Uh, the cat still comes in, but she doesn't really, she's not there for us. So she's there. Yeah. So she's not the same kind of interruption. So that's been a really important touch point. And, you know, there are seasons of we're just going through the motions, but it's still building those re- repetitive habits that are real soul care. That uh, sounds great. Is there a habit that you're trying to still incorporate into your life that you're haven't quite gotten to yet. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, eating healthier, you know, <laughs> eating salads is one of those. I was so pleased on the road. <laughs> I get to do that. Another one that I'm, I'm revisiting is um, memorization, whether it's scripture or books. Um, there, I did that a lot when I was growing up and I've, I've moved away from that. And I'm not sure if that's a good thing because it's all stored inside me or if it's something to redo, but I'm watching my kids do it. Um, and then some sort of meditation, um, whether it's centering prayer, Thomas Merton style, or, um, you know, just there's some sort of being still and repeating a phrase like, um, the Greek Orthodox have the, uh, the Jesus prayer. That's one of the, you know, something there that I'm revisiting. That was a goal of mine through college. I was also in a goal setting program in college where I had to actually learn to set goals. I mean, it's like, I tell you, Mark, like I, I'm known by a lot of people, uh, even people who know me casually as being like, a very, you know, goal oriented and and driven person who's always juggling a lot. I feel really lazy right now. <laughs> like, wow. My life phrase uh, yeah. on my personal blog is life short, live passionately. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd oh. rather go out with a bang than... Uh, That's great. No, it's really inspiring. I love it. I love I'm it. And it's, you're the kind of people I want to be around because it's, it's, it's actually surrounding myself with people who have that sort of internal motivation and drive 
to live a really full and whole life and, and experience life, you know, it's, it reminds me to look up, you know, because mm. I think we're, we're really often looking down and focusing on the thing that we think is important, but we forget that it's just a thing and life is what's important. It's like, we have to be- your vision when you're looking yeah. at it. It becomes all of life and then you all have- life. Yeah, you got to look up. So um, this uh, podcast is uh, anchored in leadership, but it's because I want to talk about networking and relationship building. And that's because I think that talking about networking in a vacuum, it, it, needs, it needs context, right? And the context here is, for you to achieve a level of success in your career, in your industry, you have to be, you know, aware of at least relationships in your life. Do you, you've met so many people, you have all these different circles. Um, you've named at least five geographic areas since we've been on this call. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so you've lived a lot of places, you've experienced life a, little, a lot of places. Are you intentional about how you stay in touch with these, uh, like, not just your inner circle, but those next layers out, the, the people who are sort of weak ties and, and connections and colleagues. Are you intentional? Do you have any like practice around that? Or is it just sort of happenstance? Uh, it's a mix of both. Uh, so much of, for the first eight or so years of my business, it was sort of digital duct tape. It was Gmail and Google Calendar and an AWeber autoresponder. And um, so now I have a CRM that helps me a little bit with some of those relationships, but those are more the client side. Those aren't so much the peer or uh, friend or just, well, some of my clients are my friends, but it's just, it's not the social side. It's more the business side. Um, it's a really good question. Um, one of the things I know I'm intentional about is reaching out to people that, and thanking them, um, particularly authors or teachers that I've learned from. It occurred to me about 15 years ago that it I had an unusually high hit rate of people responding back to me. I don't know what that's about, but while I'll, I'll reach out to someone who's a rock star in my universe, um, the guy who published my first book, uh, Charlie Tremendous Jones, is a rock star in my universe. I liked his printing firm, called it up. He happened to hit answer the phone. Um, so I try to be intentional that way. I know with my wife, here's one that's very prescriptive. Um, I realized I did a lot of cards when I was dating her and we only dated for four months. We're engaged four months later after four months. And then we were married after eight months of knowing each other, which we don't recommend, but 22 years later, we, we were too stubborn to quit. Um, the, uh, is I, every five weeks or so on my calendar, I have a, um, a reminder to send her a card. So you send out cards, the kids see that I'm still sending her a card of some sort. And it's not, it's not every five weeks. I chose an odd number because I didn't want it to be the first week of every month, but, yeah. uh, but it's crazy because she knows it's on my calendar too, but there's still that intentional because uh, <laughs> she's the one that I have to keep the most relationship with because she's the one I chose to live with. Yeah. So that's part of what we've done. We've, we've uh, modeled our lives after at points where we realized that we were moving apart. Like this isn't why we got married. So let's move together again. But with other people um, I'm finding, have you seen follow up then or yeah, follow up then.com. So there's this, there's a free uh, email service called followupthen.com, where when I, like if I were to email you, um, just from my regular email account, I could BCC one week at followupthen.com or January at followupthen.com and it will bounce back to me in my inbox. So it helps me to be that relational without actually putting somebody into an autoresponder sequence. Although those aren't bad because those help you scale your personality too. Yeah, no, that's a really great tactic. Um, I use Contactually for those weaker ties. So, okay. um, so I, at first when I got Contactually, which is a, you know, powerful CRM and you put people in all these different buckets and each bucket has a timer, 
So, you know, I want to not let more than a month go by for this group of people and not more than like three months for this group of people. And so anytime you don't get back to somebody in that time period that you had preset, they show up in your dashboard. So at first I got on and I loaded it up with like, you know, clients, past clients, you know, prospective clients, all all the stuff you think about. But you know who I realized I needed to put on there? Not actually my current clients because... I talk to them all the time. Right. I needed to put on stuff. the people like you that I meet somewhere I I enjoy, but we don't have a working relationship. And so I I it's not everybody I meet everywhere because that's a little much, but it's like I keep track of people a little bit that way. Um I also use I tag people on Gmail and you know, Gmail labels, and I also use something for LinkedIn called Duck Soup. Oh, it's, interesting. It's D-U-X dash S-O-U-P. Okay. Um, and actually, RobbieSamuels.com slash duck soup with a dash um, brings you to like a little a little trial because they have a free version and then a paid version. But basically, it's different methods to like write notes, you know, and understand like, oh, right, where did I meet them? So it's just like trying to piecemeal all that stuff together sometimes. Part of what I've, d- I've uh, developed for years, one of the intentionality things, I guess, for the last, I don't know, four and a half decades on the planet. So the last maybe three decades is learning to um, be really intentional about the, the, the nudges I get. And I call them, my wife and I call them nudges. Um, And so it's, it's incredible how people come to mind and I'll just send them a quick email. And so I guess part of the intentionality is acting on it when people come into my mind. Um, And if it's appropriate, I'll say, Hey, look, I don't know what's going on. Just let you know. It seems like I've, you know, you've been on my heart a lot lately praying for you. If there's anything specific, let me know. I wouldn't do that with everyone. I'd only do that if it were not going to be received as offensive. But other times I'll just check in, hey, how's it going? It's been a while. Um, I started really feeling bad about myself for doing that about a year ago because it feels like it's just intuition. It's just just you know my gut. Um, and then I realized I have studied for three decades at least to inform my gut to make these good choices. So it's not just like I'm doing whatever I feel like. I have really disciplined myself to have a good gut. <laughs> um, I'm disciplining my exterior, my uh, physical gut also, hopefully, but, but the interior. Um, yeah. So some of these tools are going to be really helpful to add to it. But it's, there's, a, there's just a, it's interesting when you act on those things that pop into your mind. Um, it's amazing the timing, how good the timing will be for, for other people. Uh, and you know what's great though, Robbie? People aren't doing this. So yeah. whatever you add to it, uh, right. you know, one of the reasons nonprofits don't have, they're always looking for new donors is because they keep, can't keep their existing ones because they yeah. forget to talk to them. Yeah. So it's just being human with them. And so one of the ways I leverage that too is uh, social media. I was just at a conference in, in Colorado where people thought they knew me really well. And it, it would be slight, slightly creepy if I weren't just so out there, but I never got on social media to be just, uh, I always was on there for a reason because people in my group said, why aren't you there? Um, and so that I've just, I've got some groups of like a group of consultants that I hang out with that are nonprofit consultants, a group of speakers. And, um, that allows some of those weaker ties to still have the touches that wouldn't be appropriate for one-on-one. Right. So in between conferences, you're staying in touch. You're, you're, it might be in a Facebook community. Yep. Um, but you know, you're, you're liking and, and sharing and commenting on the stuff. Yeah. No, I think the tools that we have today are great. There is a certain amount of intentionality to do it and we can't do it on 10 different groups. You know, like that's part of it. You have to make choices. 
um, where you want to go deep this quarter maybe might be different than a year from now, that kind of thing. And, yeah. and also I think um, be a self-grace, I think, is that a word? Yes. I don't yes. know, but I like it. It sounds good. I, I think that we sometimes are a little hard on ourselves <laughs> about how we do this. Um, you know, I had a, a guest I just interviewed. Uh, he, he teaches people a lot about networking. And so he's the only person I've asked who literally like has a spreadsheet of everybody he's ever introduced to each other. And he has them like organized by industry and, you know, people he doesn't know as well. He has on a different tab. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like I'm not. Yeah, yeah. I, I I aspire to that, and I love writing lists. But I have found that my to do lists get ignored. So I always have a moleskin where I'm writing my notes in. But I'm always I have to schedule. Um, yeah, I, I have to put it as an appointment. Hey, call so and so, or check in with so and so, or have it come back to my inbox with a follow up. Then one thing so, that I did do, I don't know if this is helpful for, mm-hmm. for people listening. When my first book came out, I've just listed a hundred people influencers in my sector that if they talked about my book, it would sell copies. And uh, that was my first podcast. It was around 2008, hour-long blog talk radio show. Um, three questions kept the hour going. And um, I, I've still got really good relationships with those people. And I was just asked last week, how do you know these influencers in the sector? And it was, I don't know why they said yes to this guy that was, as far as I know, unknown in the sector, um, talking to them. But they said yes. And I asked them questions about themselves. And we have had just really rewarding, and it's, you know, we go in and out. It's not like we're talking every six months or something, but when we're at conferences, there's a depth of relationship and and mutual admiration that is really rewarding. Um, And some of them are moving out of the industry into retirement. It's really neat to still have that relationship. And, um, and then when you need it, you know, that you can call them and say, you've been through this thing before. Am I going crazy? Or is there something I'm missing? Yeah. The, the interview piece is just so key, like whether it's for a podcast or you're, you're blogging or you're writing for Inc., you know, like giving people a platform like that and sharing their story. Um, people are always really appreciative. It's a great way to offer value to someone with a lot of um, significance in the world and yet, you know, building the relationship at the same time. It's so really speaking cool. of building relationships, if we had an opportunity to, to meet a year from now, which we're going to, I know that for certain. Awesome. So... And we were talking about all the amazing accomplishments that you've had this year. Oh, I love it. What would you be celebrating? Wow. So in the terms of intuition, the two things that popped into mind immediately were um, the, my membership site, the Nonprofit Academy, would have 1,000 members instead of the 150 it has right now. And my uh, Conquered Leadership podcast, uh, which is just nonprofit leaders, um, would have a thousand viewers, listeners per episode, not over time. And I don't know why a thousand came up, but because um, I know the podcast really is helping people uh, like yours is. And then the, and the nonprofit academy is giving so much great training and camaraderie to people that are by organizational design really typically isolated. Yeah. Uh, so those are the two that came up right away. I know my well, son will be heading off to jazz trumpet school and I'll yeah. play in Miami and all too. So that'll be fun. We'll probably be able to go to a jazz club together or something. That's awesome. Well, how are the best ways, uh, Mark, for people to find you and follow your work? Uh, the Concord Leadership Group is a brand of companies. So it's ConcordLeadershipGroup.com, FundraisingCoach.com, which is one of the lo- uh, longest running blogs in the nonprofit sector and the Nonprofit Academy, which is the... I call it the Walmart of fundraising training. Good fundraising training is usually really expensive, but worth it. Uh, I tried to make it so that there's a sort of way for people that don't have the budgets to still get the great, the great stuff. Um, 
many of my friends said it's not Walmart, it's Target. It's Target because <laughs> it's so good quality, even though it's, it's good not quality. Yeah. So uh, that Twitter, Mark A. Pittman. I try to be Mark A. Pittman on all the other social media platforms too. Great. Well, I will put all those links in the show notes, everybody. You'll find them at ontheschmooze.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. This was a blast. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Mark Pittman. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 69. That's also where you'll find all the links from today's episode. If you're listening to this podcast and you already understand how critical relationship building is to your success, you go to events and conferences to meet new people and make an effort to stay in touch. Yet, you know that you could up your networking game and turn that stack of business cards you've been collecting into cash, clients, and credibility. You are ready to create a strategic networking plan so you know where to put your limited time and energy and create a system for following up and staying connected. Let me help you transform relationships into business opportunities. Get started by reading my best-selling business book, Croissants vs. Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences. If you purchase it at robbysamuels.com forward slash bookstore, you receive all the book's bonuses, including the free audiobook. Would you rather one-on-one executive coaching? Email me at robbie at robbysamuels.com and we can schedule a time to chat about personalizing a strategic networking plan for you and creating a system for tracking your most important connections and those warm, weak ties you need to keep cultivating. You can also email me to get on the wait list for my next mastermind group coaching program. If you enjoyed this episode with Mark Pittman, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on iTunes. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.